I think there is something so special between the listener and the other side of the microphone in the studio. Very special. I don't feel I'm talking to two men now. I feel I'm talking to a whole world. All of the people that you have created for me because of what you're doing. How many shows were you doing a week? I did as many as four and five shows a day. I did Terry and the Pirates and Dick Tracy back to back. And early in the day, I would do David Harum. And then I would do a half hour of Grand Central Station and so on. I would say that somewhere between 35 and 40,000 broadcasts passed through my hands. By April 1954, Hyman Brown had been involved in radio for more than two decades. He directed, produced, or created shows like Inner Sanctum Mysteries, The Adventures of the Thin Man, Grand Central Station, Bulldog Drummond, Dick Tracy, Flash Gordon, and Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator. William Gargan stars as Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator. The best time to die, folks, is in your own good time. But uh, try arguing with a bullet. The National Broadcasting Company presents William Gargan in another transcribed drama of mystery and adventure with America's number one detective, Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Barry Craig speaking. Not every client you get is a socially upright citizen. But then the only society of angels is up in heaven. Mere mortals are honorable only to a degree. The almighty dollar being what it is. The gent who plopped beside me on the Fifth Avenue bus didn't look too kosher to me. And it wasn't only because of the scar on his cheek. I know Scarface judges. Just uh, call it my hunch. I transferred my wallet to the side pocket furthest from him. I'm not a dip friend. Second story? Wrong again. A carnival show with arson as a sideline? Now, don't tell me you're in some honest trade. I am. Now, this is. You better yourself every day, friend. Begin bad and good. That's life, no? No comment. So, tell me. You think I sat next to you on purpose? I can tell when a guy does. You got me sized up by now? Not quite. Well, am I hired or no? First consider what I say. I murdered a man an hour ago. Oh, it's a fine day for it. I shot him. Now I've got him in a sack. Busy, little bee. I had the best of motives. That ought to reassure the corpse. You're a confidential investigator. Guilty. Your license makes you a technical arm of the law, sworn to uphold it. You've been reading my wall literature. It's your duty to detain and arrest me. I'm not the obliging type. Sorry. I'm getting off the bus. Getting off. Adios, amigo. Gently. 
William Gargan was born in Brooklyn, New York on July 17, 1905. His father was a detective and his mother a teacher. Gargan became a bootleg whiskey salesman and later a private eye. His brother Edward was an actor. One day while visiting him at rehearsal, Gargan was offered a stage job. He began his career in a Loma of the South Seas. Gargan's first film was Rain. Later he played in Misleading Lady and starred in Three Ellery Queens. In 1940 he was nominated for a Best Supporting Actor Oscar for his role as Joe and They Knew What They Wanted. And in 1945, he starred along with Bing Crosby and Ingrid Bergman in The Bells of St. Mary's. Gargan was perhaps most famous for his role as Martin Kane, Private Eye. It was conceived as one of TV's earliest detective shows and ran concurrently on radio. Gargan played the lead on both mediums until the TV show became, as he alleged in his autobiography, a vehicle for the flesh parade. He balked when actresses were hired more for their cleavage than ability. Gargan's last performance as Kane occurred in June of 1951. That October 30 began playing Barry Craig in a similar sounding series. Craig worked alone from a Madison Avenue office and had good relationships with the cops. NBC produced the show in New York until the summer of 1954. Hyman Brown directed. What would you consider yourself, Hi, what was your label in radio? Because you directed, you also created. What do you, and what level do you think of yourself? I never had a label. It was a way of life. I created a show, I produced a show, I sold a show. I didn't put a label on myself, mm -hmm. but I belonged to the AFTRA, to the Guild, because occasionally I'd play a taxi cab driver. The big gag was, Everett Sloan would go around and tell everybody that I would give him the wrong times for the repeats. We'd have to do a repeat for the West Coast, so I'd give him the wrong time, that would mean that they didn't show up so I could play the part. But believe me, I'll never forget Myra McCormick saying, hi, it's 10 minutes to 12, and Inner Sanctum has to go on. Do you know where I am? <laughs> I said, where are you? He said, Newark. Oh, no. Oh, no. oh I played his part wonderfully. Don't. <laughs> they, all, they, all, they all used to rip me about that. But I'm a frustrated actor. I wouldn't put a label on myself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, it was... I don't know that we had labels. I got my anonymous friend's feeler right off. Was I really confidential, he wanted to find out. Find out before he dared to hire me. His story was a fake. Done to see if I'd grab him and yell police. I'd be seeing more of him. I got to see him again. In a health club and gymnasium while I was working out. Shredding stomach fat in a punch bag. My friend showed up to watch me. Save some of your punch for me, Craig. Well, back with me again, huh? Park on the bench here. We'll talk. 
Yeah. Well, I'm parked. So? I'm Moody. Jip Moody. Jip, huh? Jip means I've got gypsy blood. Oh. You, uh, get rid of that corpse, okay? <laughs> it's only kidding you. You think? You're for me. You don't run blabbing what you hear. So glad I passed your test. Now, what's my job? Two hundred grand stolen from me five years ago. I want to get it back. Explain. Johnny Phoenix stole it from me. Phoenix? Yeah, I... I dimly recall. A company treasurer or something. An ex-con I gave a chance to work. Uh, work at what? In my company. Export, import. Phoenix robbed my safe in Blue Town. And got caught? He was grabbed in Canada. Extradited. And convicted? Uh, I'm a little hazy. Convicted, yeah. But he didn't do time. He didn't? Not in jail, I mean. He acted crazy all through the trial, kept screaming about gophers and dragonflies and some dead ant. An act? I don't know. He did wear a silver plate in his skull. And a twitch to him that closed one eye every ten seconds. Anyhow, the judge took notice. Phoenix got a mental test, dementia, something or other, a doctor called it. A uh, split personality. Yeah, that. Phoenix was not responsible for his actions. He went to an asylum. Riverhead Asylum, upstate. Comes out tomorrow. Out? Free? Yeah, it's in the papers. Here. Johnny Phoenix to Judge Sane, freed on a show cause written. Does he still stand trial for the original theft? No. He isn't the same guy who did the original robbery. So a doctor says. The DA agrees, so does the trial judge. Phoenix is a new man. Cured and rehabilitated. Beat that. The money was never recovered. Not a dime. I'm out all that. Big dough, 200 grand. No insurance? Um, I only had a fraction of it insured. Be there at Riverhead when Phoenix gets out. Stay with him. He's got the dough solid away. When he goes for it, you go for him. I'll give you 5%. Well, that's 10 grand. If money. If you get my 200 back. in the Riverhead Railroad Station upstate right with Johnny Phoenix. He'd been freed about an hour earlier. I kept out of sight while we waited for the train. A good-looking guy, Phoenix, bushy hair with nature's own Marcella. Spare, broad-shouldered, a good clothes horse when he could get properly togged out. No pallor to his skin, you'd never know he'd been confined. Well, the train rolled in and I watched Phoenix climb aboard. When I tried to do likewise, I found opposition. One moment, sir. Hey, let go of my arm. My authority. A bag. I'm Sims of the state police. In civvies? Yeah, I'm off duty. However, you're under arrest. For what? Molestation. A woman complained. Molestation meaning mashing? That's right. Her description of the man fits you. Well, I'd laugh, but right now I haven't got a sense of humor. Getting tough won't help. I'm a policeman myself. I'll show you credentials. Yeah, you do all that. At the station house. Are we going through with this, boss? I have authority to shoot a resistor. Uh, put your gun away. I've missed my train anyhow. Well, there's a train every two hours. This train was special. Let's go see your complainant. The complainant looked like she'd had trouble with mashers since pigtail days. Blonde, cream cheek, born to wear silk. Ma'am, is this the man who annoyed you? Uh, no. They have a superficial likeness, but my annoyer was oilier, grosser, and uh, on his chin here, a cleft. 
Thanks for the exoneration, doll. Followed me around the station, talking at me in some strange tongue. Esperanto. Can I go now? Sorry if I caused you any inconvenience. Oh, it was nothing at all. I'm only out of probably lousy ten grand. Back at the Riverhead Station, again waiting for a train out. I tumbled to a masher mistaken identity routine I'd been caught up in. I watched for Golden Girl to come back to the station. When she did, I really molested her. Hello, doll. Doll, are you out of your mind? I'm mad over you. Mad? Oh, you really mean mad. I'd like to apologize Don't for... bother, just explain it. My arm, please, you're bruising it. All right, talk. Well, the circumstances are plain. Here in the station before, a man... An oily fellow. My size, shape, wearing my clothes, as you told State Trooper Sims. Only oily, your guy. Therefore, not me. An honest mistake. Dishonest, baby. Well, what do you mean? The only person molested in this depot today was me. And you engineered it deliberately. Deliberately? Why, that's absurd. To keep me off the train, Johnny Phoenix left Riverhead on. I can't understand a word you're saying. You've got me grabbing oh. your arm again, baby. Who are you? I can be gentlemanly, I can be very rough. Well, do we wrestle? All right. I'm Rita Phoenix. Sister or wife? Wife. Our train. We'll travel together, baby. Closer than Siamese twins. You made me lose Phoenix, but you're going to help me find him again. You're going to lead me back to him. Come on. Trains don't wait. On the train, we sat as close as the law allowed. I took the precaution of searching Rita's handbag. The ivory-handled gun surprised me just a little bit. I won it in a raffle. Does that explain it? Okay if I borrow it, baby. Can I stop you? I want a drink. Ah, so do I. Can't I even go to the club car without you? We're inseparable, remember? Boy, can I get a hate on you. Inseparable. Only thing I was wishing aloud. We were going to be separated. By no choice of mine. It happened in the club car while Golden Girl was watering her tonsils with Smirnoff vodka. The fellow flopped on the lounge beside her. With a beauty like Rita available, the dope chose to sit on my side. I knew why in less than a minute. I knew by the gun in my ribs. Do I have to spell it out, Craig? G-U-N. Gun. I'm glad you're quick on the think. The feel. Now, this is where you leave, Rita Phoenix. You've been hogging her company a long while now. You really expect me to obey? I know what you're thinking. The crowded club car, people all around us, conductors and stewards, but it won't help you, Craig. You'd have to be pretty desperate to shoot. You'd be crazy to tempt me. Dough, Craig. I drool when I think of the amount of dough at stake. All right. What's your play? That's better. The station up ahead, Sooner Falls. We roll into it exactly 3.47. That's in four minutes. You're getting off the train. Alone? Yeah. At the station, someone's waiting for you. A friend of mine. You plan far ahead, huh? I've got a knack for detail. Uh, how do I come out in all this? You just lose a client and an opportunity. No other harm done. I lose Rita. Yeah. I lose her, and she's your pigeon. Look, let's not stretch this conversation. Three minutes now, and we stop. 
Let's start moving to where you can get off. In Suna Falls, I watched the train continue on to New York. The someone waiting to greet me was right on hand as promised. Hiya, pal. Put his face between two loaves of bread and you could call it a giant meat burger. Hey, what are you staring at my kisser for? It's ugly. Now, is that nice? My car's there. Is this ride necessary? Yeah, can be. Set it up. Can be, huh? Oh, did I just leak his name to you? No, 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 no. Canby's an old acquaintance. Oh. Uh, what makes this station so lonesome? No people. Sooner Falls is a hick town. Nobody in it. Well, why are you in it? For my asthma. I got asthma bad. This bug is pollen-free. So let's ride now, huh? Uh, where will we ride to? Around. Just around? Yeah. You worry him. Don't. This rot on you don't mean nothing. <laughs> no holes in you, so don't worry, huh? My orders is just to stall around with you, see the sights, run you into six o'clock, and then give you the heave. Run me into six o'clock. Until Rita and Canby land in New York, get off that train, and get lost together. Canby doesn't want me phoning ahead. Hop in, pal. Delighted to. I'd love to tour sooner for him. Hey! Quick off, my throat. When your lovely face turns from beet red to purple. Let, let go. It took a long time throttling. And when he finally dropped, I fell on his gun. Fell on his gun and just lay there. Production of Barry Craig moved to Hollywood in the summer. It ran until June 30, 1955. Gargan's acting career came to an end in 1958 when he developed throat cancer. Doctors were forced to remove his larynx. Speaking through an artificial voice box, he became an activist and spokesman for the American Cancer Society. No longer able to act, he formed William Gargan Productions, making film and TV shows in Hollywood. I left my meat-faced friend in a semi-conscious stupor and hurried into a pay station telephone. Operator, get me long distance. New York City. Police headquarters. Person to person, reverse charges. I want to talk to Lieutenant Trav Rogers. Finally, at long last, I arrived in New York. I'd sure missed a lot of trains. Trav Rogers had come through for me at his end. The man and woman you described on the telephone got off the train here in New York. They went off in separate directions. You had them shadowed? I did. Uh, where'd they go to? The ladies registered at the Parkfront Hotel as Rita Manning. A phony name. She's Rita Phoenix. How about Candy? He checked in at the Kilgore Hotel. Kilgore? New name to me. Over in Brooklyn Heights. Oh. Rita, the Parkfront Hotel. Canby, the Kilgore. Anything else you can enlighten me on? I think so. That story of Johnny Phoenix you told me over the long-distance phone. The original theft from your client, uh... Jip Moody. The, uh, subsequent trial of Phoenix, his insane behavior in court, and the resultant confinement in an asylum... Et cetera, and so forth. What can you add to it? 
I found a discrepancy in your tale. What? The alleged $200,000 Phoenix stole. Alleged? In my review of the record of the case, no such sum. Phoenix was booked and tried for the theft of exactly $50,000. For a fact. I have a duplicate of the district attorney's file, if you'd uh, care to see it. I'll take your word. Quite a gap between 200000 and 50000 A gap that can buy Boku cherries for the wine. Uh, your client magnified the figure to fire your uh, zeal as a retriever? No, Moody's queer, but not like that. His 200000 figure has some other significance. What? I can't know until I put the question to Moody. Uh, Phoenix never disgorged any of the loot? Not a copic. What did the police do about it? About trying to recover the money from Phoenix, I mean. Oh, the usual devices and pressures. All we accomplished was a show put on by Phoenix. He acted nuts. Climbed the walls, screaming he was a chimpanzee in a jungle. After Phoenix's asylum confinement, what police activity about the money was there? The obvious. A police plant right on the asylum... Hoping to catch Phoenix in a rational moment, win Phoenix's confidence. Yeah, quite an assignment for a cop, feigning insanity. We had to change our plants every ten days, the sheer wear and tear. <laughs> the plant began to wonder about himself, huh? Was he or wasn't he Napoleon Bonaparte? Environment, they say, molds the personality. <laughs> Trav, as usual, you've been a big help. Mm -hmm. Write a letter of commendation to my superiors. But it's a very, very important part of theater. If I can leave nothing else with the people who have been listening. Theater is wonderful. You've got a curtain, you've got a stage, you come there, you sit there with 800 more people, and you see what you see and you relate to your neighbor, perhaps. Even now, they've done away with curtains. You walk into a theater today, and the set is part of your audience because they want to engage you as far as they can. Films, forget it. You're not going to go see Schwarzenegger and identify with the nonsense he's through or follow that car or the explosions mm -hmm. and whatnot. You'll identify with Driving Miss Daisy, but I'll make you identify with Driving Miss Daisy tenfold by giving you those people in your imagination. You'll see not Jessica Tandy or the actresses that have played in this on Broadway, mm -hmm. you'll see your own Jessica Tandy, your own mm -hmm. Daisy, who might be your neighbor or your grandmother or your great aunt. Or so. How much more exciting it is. 